while you and I are aware of the days that we're living in, we still believe in the power of God's word. And I really believe that even in days like this, as we lead up toward the end times, that God's people can hear his voice and walk in his ways and see the power of God released upon them. I really believe that the churches of Whangarei can hear the voice of God to such an extent that they can step into obedience and the churches will grow and the gates of hell will not, cannot prevail against it. And that's going to happen. We need to stop being politically correct and being embarrassed about things in the Bible. We need to speak the truth, not just on Sundays, but every day in the week through our lives as well. If that's going to happen, every church needs to be able to get on its knees and hear what God is calling that church to do, then step out in obedience. And I think those things are entirely possible in his name and for his glory. We're going to talk this morning about the topic of vision. And when it comes to vision in church, I think there's a lot of confusion. A lot of people struggle to understand what it means. I kind of think if, if it, you're in a church, your vision is just the Great Commission and that's it, but it's not. There are specific things God wants to say to specific churches and specific areas where each church will be strong in, that if they pursue those things they're called to prophetically, they will rise up and they'll be blessed supernaturally and God will impact our city for Jesus. I believe this, friends, that when there is a clear vision in a local church, God sends the right people and the resources supernaturally to fulfill that vision. And I've seen that multiple times. When you get the vision right, you think, wow, that's what God's calling us to. Doesn't that seem impossible? No, you start believing it and declaring it, and God sends the right people. And God releases resources. And what happens just brings him the glory. But what is vision? What is vision? I mean, there's a lot of confusion about it out there. The person beside you is probably highly intelligent. Okay, so I want you to turn to them and just for the next 30 seconds, come up with your definition of what is vision. People say, I've got a vision for my workplace. I've got a vision for my family. I've got a vision for my marriage. I've got a vision for my church. So what is vision? Share with the person beside you. Google says that vision is the ability to think about or plan the future with imagination or wisdom. That's okay, we can do better than that, way better than that. Scripture says, Proverbs 29 verse 18, that without a vision the people will perish, they will flounder, there won't be the growth and the blessing. Some translations say without a progressive vision. If you have a vision out here for the long term picture, but year after year, God releases the next 12 months. He releases the next 18 months of what that vision will look like. Without a progressive vision, the people will struggle, the people will flounder. Tim Keller said, a common vision 
can unite people of very different temperaments. Chuck Swindle, a great Christian writer, says this, When I think of vision, I have in mind the ability to see above and beyond the majority. I bet the person beside you came up with a definition of something like this. Vision has to do with the future. It's describing what can be if we believe and act on the will of God for our lives or for our families. I believe that in a church, vision is a picture of what the church will look like in the future if we do what God's calling us to do. In a church, I'd expect vision to answer two questions. Who are we uniquely called to reach? So we're going to love everybody. We're going to open the doors to everyone, but who are we particularly good at reaching out to? And secondly, what will the future look like as these people are reached and added to the kingdom? Every person, every church is going to welcome anyone who comes in. It's the kingdom. You're going to love on anyone that God brings across your path, brings in the doors of the church, to your home group, to your men's group. That's the kingdom. But I really believe that each church has unique giftings to reach out to particular people in particular ways. Vision doesn't come from um, copying the church down the road that's doing something really good. Vision doesn't come from a book and someone says, wow, at Willow Creek or at this church or at that church, they do this, let's do the same. Vision doesn't come from having a brainstorming session. What would you like to do? Vision comes when godly people get on their knees and say, God, it's your church and we're your people. And just as Isaac was saying, leading us in the song, and Matt as well, if we submit to you, if we, if we do what you want us to do, Lord, what's it you're calling us to? That's where vision starts. And it usually starts in the heart of the leadership of the church. And it's usually confirmed and improved and added to by the church family. I love a phrase I see again and again in the book of Acts. It says, when the church met together to consider what the elders or the apostles or the, the, the church leaders were deciding about talking about, they'd say something like this. It seemed good to us and the Holy Spirit to set apart Paul and Barnabas or whatever the particular issue is. So people were praying at leadership level. The church took time out to seek the mind of God and discern the mind of God. And the conclusion is, seems good to us. Here's a green light. It's time to pursue that. I want to give you some examples of vision, not to, in any way to, to um, make my past history sound good because it's the grace of God that's blessed me. If someone said, Russell, why did that church grow? Why did uh, good things happen there? It's because we obey God and we do what God said. So that's, that's, that's fine that we do our part, but the glory goes back to the Lord. At 25 years of age, I was pastor in a little town called Te Aroha. Probably not many of you would know where that is not far from Pyra. And I turned up at the church there a week before my son Daniel was born. And we were young to ministry. We didn't know what to do at all. We just wanted to do anything for Jesus. And I remember getting on my knees in that little church, 25 people, and say, God, what is your plan for this little church in Tiharaha? And I got a picture of evangelistic home groups. So there were 25 people in the church. There was one home group. <laughs> and God said, this is what I want you to do, Russell. I want when the home group meets to set aside two extra chairs for the next two people that are going to be at it. I want every home group to have a trainee leader in the home group as well. And you pray that those chairs will be filled every time you get together as a home group. And you think about the people that the home group knows who are a little bit open to Jesus. There's a little bit of questioning going on, a little bit of responsiveness. 
and then organize things that they would like to do and do it with them. So if the people that we were praying for, we wanted to invite the church to our home group, uh, we're fishing people, we'd go fishing. If they were hikers, we'd organize a hiking event. You know what? We'd look for things in common. We'd invite them to something we know that they want to do. Then we'd bring them to the home group. And then the home group would say, whatever questions you have, that's the priority for our group tonight. So we'd have a plan, a structure, but they would be the priority. And a little church of 25 went to 120, 50% salvations in 12 months. And it was fun because God built his church because we got on the knees and we did things his way. I went on to pastor a youth group for three and a half, four years after that, Bokarah. The next time I was pastor of a church again was a place called Ratahi. Now, not many of you will know where that is either. You do? It's a tiny wee place. About 900 people in town. And when I got to that church, I didn't get a vision um, for what the church should do for outreach, but I just believed in all my heart that this little town of 900 people could be more than 50% Christian. And other people in the church believe the same thing. And looking back, we should have articulated it better, we should have declared it more often, but we believe a group of 15 people could become the dominant influence in that little town. And in the first 12 months, again, for about 120, 130 people, 50% salvation in the first 12 months. The church kept growing till the building was just absolutely chocker. And then because the Christianity had grown in Tiara, in um, Ratahi so much, uh, people were buying less alcohol. And we managed to buy one of the pubs really cheap and take that over and move into a pub. And that was just as I was leaving. But there was, a, there was an impact on the city. There was an unspoken belief that I wish we had declared more often that somehow Jesus was going to become the dominant flavour in this little town. What took place is remarkable. No glory to Russell. Russell's just an guy, average guy on his knees saying, what do you want to do, Lord? What's your plan? I went from there to a place called uh, Ranui. It was on the news this week for looking after flood victims. And um, when I, I snuck in to visit this church and I snuck and sat in the back row and I couldn't believe it was so unfriendly. There's only 65 people in the church at the point. Uh, two of them were Māori. Everyone else was European. And uh, I snuck in the back row. I sat by a lady who spent most of the church service grumbling about people in the church. And the people up the front who were speaking, oh boy, it feels like you're calling me to this church, Lord. When I got on my knees there, I felt the Lord saying, this is going to be the friendliest church in West Auckland. This is so friendly. And I felt the Lord saying, the way this church is to evangelise is to form relationships wherever they go and share the gospel throughout the week, but sow seeds early. So don't try and befriend someone for two or three or four weeks. Then talk about Jesus. Talk about Jesus in the first 30 seconds. Mention an answered prayer or something in the first 30 seconds and then learn how to disciple people to salvation and after salvation. And again, that church grew from 65 to 180 in the first, first 12 months. Got the 320 till we, the building really stopped us growing at that point. And it was so much fun. You know, we had food banks and, and toy libraries and mainly music and um, schools, the breakfast club. There were just things happening everywhere. Huge, huge budgeting service, emergency house. And we... It was like a church without walls because it was just things were happening every day of the week. But people got saved through the week. Every week people got saved. And that was what I felt in my heart when I prayed. And I went to the elders and I said, Elders, this is what I'm sensing. Yeah, we're a white church, middle to upper class, spicy multicultural within about just 
in 12 months, we were at 40% other cultures within the church. We started declaring what God was showing to me and the elders. The church confirmed it, that we'd got it right, and God blessed it. When I came up to Whangarei, I came to a wonderful church, Central Baptist Church. Beautiful people. And uh, in that context, my leadership style probably wasn't as strong as it should have been. And we didn't quite get the eldership quite right. We struggled. But God spoke to the church about vision and outreach. We talked about supporting northern churches and raising world-changing Christians and targeted the 4- to 14-year-olds. Now, here's the thing. When I look back over the years, every church we went to, God had a slightly different vision. Every church we went to, it wasn't let's just fill the great, fulfill the Great Commission. It's God's got a unique call on that church for a particular purpose. And every church I went to, I couldn't do what I did in the last church. I couldn't pull out my same sermons. I couldn't say, this is our strategy. This is how we're going to do it. Every church I went to, Holy Spirit said to me, to the elders and into the church, this is the plan. And when you follow the plan, supernatural things happen. There's a young man called David Miller back at the Baptist Church and at the time of him getting this picture, he must have been maybe 17 or 18 years old, very mature young man, man of prayer. And I remember him coming to me one day and saying, Russell, I've been praying for this church, this is Central Baptist, 100 metres down the road. He said, I saw a picture of the church filling up with fire and that's just a symbol of the presence of the Holy Spirit. And it went out through the windows and out through the doors and it went down the streets and it touched certain businesses, and it touched certain homes, it touched certain areas, neighbourhoods, but much of the city was left untouched. And after seeing that picture, he said, God, I'm really grateful you're going to use this church I'm a part of. What about the other churches? And God showed him that if Central Baptists did what they were called to do, they were going to touch certain parts of the city. But if the other churches did what they were called to do, the fire of God would come out of those buildings and out of those places of fellowship, and flow down the streets and touch different homes and different businesses and different families and different schools. And as he watched the picture continue to form, he said, Russell, it was like a lattice work everywhere over Whangarei. Everyone was touched. Everybody was impacted by the presence and the power of God because each church did what it was called to do. Beautiful picture. Explains how vision works so clearly. In my opinion, friends, now, when people come to church, the coffee matters. When people come to church, the preaching matters. When people come to church, worship matters. But in my opinion, the primary reason people are looking for a church home choose to stay or even seekers choose to stay in the church is because people are friendly. So if they come along and there's room in the back rows and we spend time talking to them, invite them home for a coffee or something, they're likely to come back and they're likely to stay for a good period of time. Primary reason, in my opinion, just watching church growth over the years is that our friendliness connects people in. And the primary reason I think people stay in the church is because of vision. And you'll find when there's not a specific vision in a church, folk will come for six months, 12 months, or some, then they'll just drift off again to somewhere else. If, they, if there's a church that's saying, we're going for these targets, God's inspired us in this way, this is our purpose, that keeps people connected in. Or seeking what God wants for that church in those days. I want, to, I want to put a couple of statements up on the screen for you. Now, these are the two most common vision statements of churches in New Zealand. And I want you to turn to the person beside you. 
and um, just just answer, just discuss, just evaluate those two vision statements. So we're going to evangelize the lost in our community. Some people say that's our vision. Now the most the most common one of all is number two. Uh, we're going to love God, love each other, love the community. I want you to talk to the person beside you and decide: is that good vision? Is that bad vision? Is that lacking something? Has that got everything? You know, what do you think? If you evaluate those two statements, most common vision statements of churches in New Zealand across the moment nationally, what do you think about those visions? Go for it. I wonder what your thoughts were on those. When I look at those two statements, I think, do they need to have prayed and heard from the voice of God to come up with a statement like either of those? I don't think so. I don't think so. Does it create a picture of the future where the church is going if it steps out in the faith? I don't think it does either. And so I think they're nice and I think they're common to anyone in any church could say these things. It doesn't reveal anything of the unique DNA of those churches. And I want to suggest to you that a vision that's come from leaders praying and churches praying is going to inspire people to say, wow, that's, 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 a, that's a big call. That's going to be huge. Only God could do that. And it's going to reflect that church, what God's unique call on that church is. Can every church feed every mouth in the city, reach every people group? Uh, of course it can't. But can every church, like every Christian, do what it's called to do and do it well? Absolutely. In this church, I bumped into someone. I can't remember. I was buying something the other day, and we were talking about churches. And um, this this retail person said, "Well, what are the good churches in Tongarei?" I said, "Mate, there's about 15 I would go to any day. There are 15 really good churches, you know." And I said, "These are Bible believing churches." And I rattled off a great big list of churches, like including ours as well. And um, and it's true. There's a lot of wonderful churches in Tongarei. But we don't need to duplicate what anybody else is doing. Well, I, I've really uh, been a good friend with a man called Trent Mulberry from C3 prior to him going back to Auckland. And we've kind of caught up every few months and um, I've looked at their vision as a church and they've, they've had a vision to reach at-risk Māori youth. That's sharp, isn't it? And it affects their language, it affects the tereo in church, it affects the way the buildings are done, it affects their discipleship program and it's been blessed. Now, people who are not at-risk Māori youth are very comfortable going here because they, they want to support that mission. They want to be part of that. So the church is probably predominantly, at least 50%, got that Māori flavour 
Lots of folk have come out of gangs, have been at risk and have come to the Lord through miracles and real transformation. But the people in the church, they know what the church is there for. And the fruit, I think, has been quite remarkable. I'm hoping, I'm praying this is what happens, friends, over the next four or five weeks. I'm praying that Pastor Sam comes up from Auckland because he's our oversight and he's a really godly man. And I'm praying that in in four or five weeks' time, uh, you will have names of people who you believe are to be elders in this church. And there's going to be a process to get to that point and there's going to be a process that will help the elders first and then the church discern God's unique calling, unique vision for this church. Yeah, my hope would be that in a month's time Sam's here and we can have a potluck lunch after church or something like that and uh, we can say, look, these names are on our hearts and you can start passing names on to me at any point and the church pray and discern what the mind of Christ is for leadership. One of the great things we can do to help the elders start the process of clarifying vision is to answer certain questions. Now these questions are on your sermon outline sheet. They're also on the tables at the back of the auditorium. And my hope would be, my request of you would be this, that as you pray through the questions and you come up with answers, uh, would you please transfer your answers to the blotting paper on those tables at the back of the church over the next two or three weeks? That would really help. Question number one, prophetic foundations. When this church first began as an AOG church in Water Street, what was its unique call and purpose and passion? Have any of you heard of a man called Rodney Francis? Awesome. Oh, a few of you, yay. He's a prophetic man about this tall. An absolute man of God. Oh, a powerful man of God. I heard him speak one day and he said this. He said that if you want to do well in your ministry as a Christian, don't neglect the gifts you receive when the elders first laid hand on you. Whatever you are called to do, do that. You can do more, but do that first, you know. And he said the same thing is true of a church. If a church was formed together to reach kids, if it was formed together to help a region, if it was formed together to reach a neighbourhood, don't neglect the church's original prophetic calling. Add to it, but don't neglect it. If you neglect it, you'll, you'll flounder. If you add to it, great things happen. And I totally agree with that. So this question is this. When this church began, maybe there's six or seven folk in this church who know, who know about those days. What was its unique purpose and character? Number two, we're totally committed to the eight cultural points of Church Unlimited. If you're new to Church Unlimited, uh, Anna on the information desk has got these little fridge magnets for you. This is the nature of the movement and we are absolutely committed to these wonderful eight things, eight values, eight cultures that Church Unlimited stands for. And so vision is going to be a part of that, it's going to fit within that. It won't be different to that, but it'll be unique in addition to that for our, our place here. And, and keeping that in mind, what, what are our unique strengths for CU Whangarei? Uh, please put that down on your sheets as well. Where do we see the most salvations through our church's ministry? That's important to discern the mind of Christ going forward. Do we attract a particular people group, number four? What makes us unique? And there are some things that make this church absolutely unique uh, in the city. And what are our weaknesses? a hard one to answer, but I want you to consider those six questions, prayerfully fill in your sheets at home, and when you come to church over the next three weeks, transfer your results to sheets at the back of the church. Mm -hmm. 
I have found, friends, that if we do things biblically, God turns up. If we do things religiously, if we do things because that's the way it's always been done, it gets pretty dry and boring. It really does. So biblically, when it comes to vision, leaders seek God for vision, and they absolutely submit to each other in the process. Then they come to the church, and they absolutely submit to the church and say, church, have we got it right? So they spend time praying and fasting, then the church spends time praying and fasting, and when there's clear discernment from both groups of people about what God is saying, then you've got the green light, and it's time to go, and you'll see the power of God come. So as a church, uh, we don't have elders, we don't have deacons, we don't have ministry team leaders, we have staff, and we have an amazing man who leads our worship, you know, and that's it. So if we're going to follow the process um, of, of discerning the voice of God for this church, if we're going to discern vision, one of the first things we need to do is say, well, who are the people God's raising up to be elders in this church? There's no number, there's no gender, it's whoever God puts his hand on because their character and gifting is correct. There's a process to a leadership team and vision uh, in the book of Acts, and I believe it in the church if we follow the word. There are two, two ways in which the mind of Christ is discerned. Number one, the apostles or elders make a decision and the church prayerfully appoints people to carry it out. So remember Acts chapter 6? There's a whole lot of widows in the church and the Hebrew people are distributing food. And all the Hebrews, widows, were getting more food than the white widows, the European, the Greek-speaking widows. And they caused a ruckus in the church. And the elders got together, the apostles, the church leaders, and they prayed and they felt God was saying, appoint seven godly people to look after that ministry and carry on preaching and praying. I make preaching and praying the focus, but appoint seven people. So they come back to the church and say, church, God said, appoint seven people and the church prays. And the church fasted and the church appointed seven people, seven deacons. Another model in the book of Acts is this. The whole church decide prayerfully. Acts 15.22 Then the apostles and elders with the whole church decide to choose some of their own men and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. What happens is a process here. The apostles and the elders, they've got some leading, they've got some insight, they take it to the church and collectively the leaders and the church decide what's the right thing to do, which people are to be set apart. I've loved going to eldership meetings, friends, where I've gone to an eldership meeting and maybe a week or two beforehand I've said, these are the thoughts I think God is saying to me, I submit it to you. If you disagree, you can disagree. If you want to add to it, you can add to it. But I am not moving on to the church or the next step until we're in unity at eldership level. And then the other elders come together and it's really exciting. And they say, we're getting this and we're discerning that. And they submit it to the team as well. And it keeps the whole church safe. Now, whether the church has got a, a really experienced old pastor or someone who hasn't been in ministry for long, the church is safe because you've got this bunch of leaders that the church has set aside saying, we only want the mind of Christ. This church isn't about any individual or personality. We want God's vision and God's mind. And they had the submissive attitude to each other. And when there's unity at that level and they come back to the church and say, church, you don't have to agree. You can change, you can look at things, you can test things. But now we've prayed and fasted. Would you take time out to pray and fast as well? The process works well. Acts chapter 14, verse 23. As they set up new churches, 
Uh, elders were elected in every church. Every church that was established, a church planting, elders were elected. Acts 14.23, Paul and Barnabas chose some leaders for each of the churches. They went without eating and they prayed the Lord would take good care of these leaders who uh, had trusted in the Lord. That's the process we need. Now, if you've got a pen and paper with you, I want you as I read out these scriptures in closing just to write down the qualities of an elder and the functions of an elder. So just on your outline, qualities and functions. And I'll try and read at a slower pace than what I normally do, so you've got something to write. I believe we've got quite a number of people in this church with the qualities. I really do. It's about God discerning which are the right ones for us. Acts 15 verse 2. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. So the apostles and elders are dealing with a conflict within the church, a theological dispute, one of their functions. Titus 1 verse 4. Titus, my true son, in our common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and from Christ Jesus our Saviour. The reason I left you in Crete was that you might put in order what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So they, when they did mission, they didn't do hit and miss mission. They didn't just talk to someone in the street, give them a booklet, never see them again. Their mission was tied into church planting. And so they would reach out to people, they'd tie them into a church, and they made sure they appointed elders in charge of every church. An elder must be blameless, faithful to his wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to, to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Pretty high target to see we'll talk about that in a small group later during the week. 1 Timothy 5.17. Oh, sorry, 1 Timothy 4.14. Do not neglect your gift which was given to you through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. One Timothy five seventeen, the elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honour, especially those who work in preaching and teaching. James five fourteen, is anyone among you sick? Let them call for the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And finally, one Peter five one, to the elders among you. I appeal as a fellow elder and as a witness of Christ's sufferings who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that are under your care, watching over them not because you must but because you're willing as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you but being examples to the flock. I'm going to read three practical things I want you to do, then we're going to wait for a minute and just pray quietly. We're going to finish the service, not with a closing song, not with me praying, but just a silence on our church family as we pray together for certain things. Three things I want you to do this morning, friends. Number one, fill out those questions, the six questions in your sermon outline and transfer it to the sheets at the back of the auditorium over the next three weeks. That's helpful resource material to pass on to the elders. Secondly, Start asking God 
to direct your eyes and your attention to a man, a woman, uh, somebody, doesn't matter what their age is, but it does matter what their character is, it does matter what their gifting is regarding eldership. And if you sense the Lord is keep saying to you, this person is right for eldership in Church Unlimited Whangarei, then please come and let me know. Pass their name on to me. What I will then do is get a group of people together to pray about those names, together with Pastor Sam. And if there's unity at that point, I'll go to those folk and say, would you stand? Would you be willing to serve in this way? So number one, fill in the questions, transfer them to the back. Number two, pray about who God's raising up to leadership. And number three, start praying that God will begin to impart vision to leadership people in this church regarding the future of this church. We're not just a church in Whangarei. There are lots of good churches, but God's got a unique call for this church. And if we discern his voice, if we hear what he's saying to us specifically, then I believe the resources of the heaven will be open. People will be raised up. And coming to church and serving in the church won't be hard, it won't be draining, but it'll be absolutely fulfilling as we do what we're each called to be doing.